Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Billy Collins was our recent poet laureate, and he wrote a poem called Detail. In it, he invites you to sit in a room with a woman who's sipping tea and paging through a coffee table book. It's one of those collections of famous paintings from art museums, and she's just flipping through the pages, passing over landscapes and still lifes and portraits of people she should know but doesn't. And then she comes across a page filled with clouds in the sky, and she looks at it, and she looks up at you, and she says, this one is my favorite. Now, what she doesn't know is that what she's looking isn't really a painting at all. It's just a detail. (laughs) One small corner of the sky out of this much larger mural of gods and heroes in epic combat. Now, she doesn't know that. But what she does know is that this one small corner of the sky, this detail, it's beautiful. And for her... On this day, it is enough. I thought of that poem as I was working on the sermon this morning because this is what we have in our Old Testament reading, just a detail. One small detail of a much larger story, a story of Jacob, a man who was locked in mortal combat with his brother Esau from birth. And Jacob was a man who knew how to prey upon human weakness. When his brother Esau was famished, Jacob would use food to steal a birthright. And when his father, when their father was nearly blind, Jacob would cover himself with animal skins and he would crawl into the darkness of that tent and prey on their father's weakness, stealing Esau's name in order to steal Esau's blessing. And that story of Jacob is really just one small detail of an even greater story, a story of God who fights with people like Jacob and Israel and uses them to bring blessing to you. So we've got one small detail of this much larger story, and my prayer for you today is that this detail will be beautiful and that it will be enough. Now at first glance it isn't a beautiful story. Actually it's quite frightening. It's a story that's filled with misery and defeat and a difficult divine silence. Jacob stands there on the edge of this river and he thinks that he is alone. He has sent his wives and his children and all of his goods ahead of him. He has sent them ahead of him as kind of some kind of gift to his brother, hoping that his brother, whom he thinks is coming at him with 400 men, will be appeased. And he stands there as it's growing dark and he thinks he is alone and he's jumped by a man. And he wrestles that man all through the night. And he struggles to hold on to him as the dawn is coming so he can get a glimpse of his face. And that man then reaches into the inner side of Jacob's thigh and wrenches it. Dislocates his hip. And Jacob is now in misery. Wounded. And we think defeated by God. (laughs) But Jacob isn't defeated. 
he holds on. Jacob prevails. Jacob is in misery, he is suffering, and he holds on, and he prevails. If anyone is defeated here, it's God. That's what the narrator tells you. The narrator tells you that Jacob prevailed. That's what the angel says. When the angel names Jacob, the angel says, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And that's what the plot line tells you. The angel actually has to ask Jacob to let him go. And so Jacob is in misery and he holds on to this defeated God. And Jacob is a man who knows how to prey upon weakness. So he asks for a blessing and for his name. And now you see the divine difficult silence. The angel gives Jacob a blessing but the angel will not share his name. And Jacob holds on to this mystery of an angel's silence. Now, we normally think about angels as messengers, right? Messengers of God who have a word that they share with this world. And when angels speak that word from God, things in this world change. Think about it. Those angels, they speak in the middle of the night. The heavens are torn open and shepherds hear them proclaiming and those shepherds find themselves kneeling at the feet of their Savior. Those angels speak early in the morning as women are going to a tomb mourning for their Savior has died and those angels share a word that touches their memory and causes them to believe that Jesus has risen. Angels are messengers who bear a word from God and when they speak, It changes life. But this time, Jacob is changed by an angel's silence. All his life, he will hold on to this mystery of a God who's defeated and yet in his misery shares a blessing. And that's the God that Jacob asks you to worship today. Now, this is not exactly the kind of God our world wants. (laughs) It's certainly not the God we want. We want a God who speaks to us about life now, because there are times when we want that message. There are times when we need that message from God. This weekend's contemplate, right? Some of you have come to the seminary thinking about becoming a deaconess or a pastor. You're here for a weekend, and you're wondering if maybe this weekend God will give you that sign. Entering the ministry, at times it can seem very easy, like filling out an application and choosing a school, but sometimes, late at night, it seems very hard. When you think about the responsibilities of that office, God entrusting human souls into your care, and then you look at your life and you wonder, could God, would God choose someone like me? You want to crawl to some corner on this campus. You want to open that Bible and stick your bony finger in there and get a word, a message from God. And you come to chapel and what do you get this? (laughs) Misery. 
and a difficult divine silence. Well, get used to it. Because much of the ministry is lived in that difficult divine silence. It happens before you come here, it happens while you're here, and it happens after you leave. There's a parishioner there in front of you in your office. She's finally stopped talking, started to grow quiet, quiet, and you're, you're glad. Not because you didn't want to hear what she had to say. It's just that what she was saying was so painful. Telling you about the diagnosis, how she had these bouts of blindness, this uh, numbness, paralysis on her side until the doctor finally said it was MS. And then she's not looking at you. She's sitting there crying, and she's talking about her ailing father, and her two children, and she looks at you and she says, you know, I could bear it. I could deal with this misery if God would just tell me why. Why he will do this to my dad and my kids. Can you tell me, Pastor, why? And there's that difficult divine silence And no matter how hard you try, you can never get used to it, because it hurts. But then a a text like this, like a, a detail in a painting that when you suddenly see it changes everything you see, a text like this comes and calls you blessed. That you are now part of this people of God who hold on to this mystery of blessing in weakness and silence. Otto Dix was a, um, a German artist who knew how one small detail could change everything you see in a painting. Uh, Otto Dix had served in the German army in World War I. He had fought on the Eastern Front. He had fought on the Western Front. He was wounded in battle, and he was awarded the Iron Cross. But no medal, no award, no talk of honor and glory in battle could take away everything he had seen. And so he painted visions of horror. One of them he called the War Triptych. (laughs) And he used this very traditional form that you would find on an altar, a triptych, where you have a, a central panel of the crucifixion of Christ and these side panels that tell the story of salvation fold in and out. Only he didn't paint the story of salvation in that triptych. He painted war humanity's war. In that central panel where you think you would see Christ, he painted what this world looks like after World War I at noon. And it's devastating. There in the background you have these broken buildings where there used to be civilization. The only living figure in the whole painting is a man wearing a gas mask because we have poisoned our air Not just with gas, but with the smell of death as there's a pile of corpses piled up next to the sky. And into this vision of horror, Dix put one little detail that he stole from another painting. There's this bridge that arches out over that living figure, and stretched out on that bridge is this corpse. And stretched out from that corpse is this arm, and stretched out from that arm is one bony finger the hand of John the Baptist, stolen from Matthias Grunwald's Isenheim altarpiece (laughs) and stuck there in that painting. And if you follow that hand, you look, and in that pile of corpses, you'll see him. Jesus, dead, discarded by this world, and silent. Dix knew 
the horror of humanity. Only two things he took with him into battle. Copy of Nietzsche, a copy of the Bible. He knew our fight against God and our fight against human and that we would prevail. But John the baptizer has a bony finger that points and invites you this day to pray on human weakness. For in that figure is a blessing of God. So, what happens when you have those times of difficult divine silence in the ministry? What happens when you come here today wanting a sign from God? Is that what you want? You want some kind of sign from God to tell you about your life? Well, there's your sign. John the baptizer's bony finger points to it. And Jacob, Jacob wrestled all night hoping that you could just see his face in the morning. But all you get is darkness. And one question, why on earth do you seek to know my name? What do you call a defeated God who blesses? This is a portrait of someone you should know. In many and various ways, God has spoken to us by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he saves you from your sin. And that detail is beautiful, and it's always enough. Amen.